Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, facilitator of all things turn on, author of permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and lift the veil. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the secrets women keep. I am your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have a tech-taming, science-loving guest. Her name is Dr. Christy Goodwin. Christy studies what it takes to thrive in the digital world. She translates the science of digital productivity and well-being into realistic strategies so individuals can achieve peak performance in a digital world. She's worked with large and small organizations to help employees, leaders, and teams ignite peak performance in their professional and personal lives without proposing that you eradicate email or cancel Zoom meetings altogether. She is an author, a researcher, and is frequently called upon by the media for her expert opinion on how technology is shaping our focus physical health and mental well-being without proposing digital abstinence. I don't think any of us want that. <laughs> Having presented to global audiences, Christy provides research-based yet realistic strategies to boost performance and productivity in an always-on world. She wants to help you tame your digital behaviours so you can flourish online and, most importantly, offline. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lauren. What a great introduction. I loved you called me the tech tamer um, at the beginning. Somebody the other day did an intro before I was delivering a keynote and they made a bit of a Freudian slip. They, um, I'd worked with this client previously, so they knew what I did. And they said, Christy is a pracademic. And they they questioned what they said. I don't mean, no, she's not practically an academic. What I meant to say is that she's really practical and she's an academic and it has turned out to be the best Freudian slip that I've ever heard <laughs> because I'm the first to admit, self-confessed nerd. I love science. Yeah. I love research, yeah. but it's pointless. It's totally redundant if it's not practical and realistic. Yes. So I love that I am a, a pracademic and I love that your intro really <laughs> encapsulated Right. I, I mean, I straddle we, both these spheres, the yeah. practical and the academic. <laughs> yes. And one thing I've come to learn about you is that you love amalgamating words and like putting new words together, like words <laughs> that you just didn't expect would ever be married. Like I can tell you're not just a nerd, but you're a word nerd. So we like, I, we have I, this meeting of the minds because I'm word obsessed and you kind of like when I go, when I, you know, when I absorb your socials and take in your messaging, I'm like, oh, I like that acronym. And I'm like, oh, I like this, like, I like this little shorthand version of these two words. So that yeah. actually is perfect for you. <laughs> Thank you. And I do, I, I get feedback on my presentations in two forms. One is usually I loved all the terms, the Christieisms. Um, you know, <laughs> I use words like infobesity and tech tantrums and <laughs> availability creep let's all have sort of connotations um but again it makes it really digestible for people and the second thing I get a lot of feedback on my keynotes is where did you get your shoes and people that are almost too embarrassed I liked the content but I equally liked and want to know where those heels came from so I'm not your traditional academic is what I'm really trying to Yes, you definitely aren't. And what you were just saying before about the practical aspect, it needs to be, you're right, research needs to be tangible. It's like, that's all well and good. How can we implement and integrate this incredible wealth of knowledge into improving our feelings of success and satisfaction and feeling connected and loved and be, like having a sense of belonging to ourselves and in the world, how does it all improve our lives in a very qualitative sense? 
I'm so glad you said that. And that's how I fell into this work. I was an academic, um, but I became a frustrated academic. I could see all of this wonderful research being published in peer-reviewed journals and shared at academic conferences behind the academic gates. Mm -hmm. But I knew as a a lay person, this information often wasn't communicated and I became really frustrated. I thought this is a redundant exercise if we keep this information with our insular communities Research, I believe, has to have practical application. Otherwise, it's just another paper in a journal or something that is, you know, perpetuated in these academic circles. So I'm a big believer, huge proponent in realistic but research-based advice, especially in this digital sphere where we're often given conflicting advice and there's very philosophical views, you know, is technology toxic or taboo or is it something that we all have to voraciously embrace? Um, You know, if you look at the parenting sphere, I don't know, I mean, parenting is a polarising topic in and of itself, but when it comes to the digital sphere, you know, when do you give them a phone? Should you have tech-free childhoods? Like it is just a really polarizing topic. So I think if you can fall back on science and research, it gives you a really stable base point to have these conversations and to look for practical ways that we need to embed it because it's not going away. Yeah, it's not going away. And in fact, it's an incredible tool for connection. It is like I, I, you and I would never have connected four years ago. We wouldn't have met online if we hadn't met online, like our worlds, it's unlikely our our paths would have crossed. And so it's a wonderful tool. And what I really admire and respect about your messaging and your mission is that you're not of the, you, you really, I can see that you're proposing this sweet spot for everyone and by sweet spot I mean it's about being nimble it's about being flexible it's not about balance as such because I think we've all been scarred by that word and that concept and I think it's I think it's had its time and we're ready to move on Um, but what I what I take from your work is that it's about embracing flow states in and in line, online and offline, and to really harnessing it for more power and ensuring that we just that we retain our power in in all of the contexts of our life. You're spot on. I, I often say, are we in control of technology, or does technology control us? And I think we give away our personal power when we are slaves to the screen. You know, when we're mindlessly scrolling mm. through social media, when we're spending, you know, our holidays trying to find the one bar of Wi-Fi signal so we oh. can do a quick check of our inboxes. You know, I often say this is one of your words you might like. We can't go laptopless. Like people yeah. can't go away without their digital appendages. So. Mm. Um, I think we've come to a juncture in time um, because technology has crept into every single crevice of our lives professionally and personally where people are actually starting to reflect, is this technology serving me or is it enslaving me? And I think if we had a really honest conversation with ourselves, many of us would perhaps reluctantly but would eventually admit that we are slaves to technology. Mm. Um, And it's not all our fault. You know, I I don't want us to abdicate full responsibility. These tech companies, particularly social media platforms, have used a whole range of persuasive design techniques to get us hooked on their platforms. Mm. Even, you know, workplace technologies like Slack and Teams, You know, our brain cannot differentiate between a team's notification coming to us and a tiger chasing us Mm. because they're both external threats. Our brain perceives this as a stressor or a potential threat. Um, And so there's a whole lot of things happening simultaneously. Um, I love that you talked before about how technology fuels out the most basic psychological driver that we share as humans, and that is the need for relational connection. We as humans are biologically designed to be part of a tribe and part of a group. And it can certainly fulfill that need. That's why I think social media, why emails, why um, communication platforms like Teams and Slack have seen exponential growth because it taps into our biological wiring to belong. Um, We also know that technology fills our other basic psychological needs like feeling competent and feeling like we're in control. This is all part of self-determination theory. I do, okay, that this is yeah. Okay, this is something that I wasn't aware of. Can you repeat that again? Our need to feel competent, and that taps into a desire to feel accom- accomplished. Is that kind of yes, so connected to that and control? 
Yes. So self-determination theory suggests that as humans, we only have three basic psychological drivers, connection being the foundational one, competence and control. So I feel competent by the number of social media vanity metrics, by how quickly I respond to the team's message, by how, you know, how often I get to inbox zero, which let me point out is a very artificial state that nobody lives in very often these days. And we feel like we're in control or have some autonomy over our lives when we're scrolling through social media. But little do we often recognize that what is curating our social media feeds is governed by the Google recommendation algorithm. Um, And because as humans, we have a negativity bias. If you've hovered over a post or a news headline that is something more sinister or something with more negative connotations, you're feeding the algorithm, serve me up similar types of content. So the technology can work for us, but it can also work against us again if we're not in control. And what I think, what I'm really, really passionate about is about saying we need to embrace technology. It's not go on a digital detox. It's not ban technology. But I believe we've got to start to use technology in ways that is congruent with how Mm -hmm. our brains and bodies are designed. I call it our HOS, our human operating system. Mm -hmm. We've forgotten what our basic psychological, neurobiological needs are. Technology has had a huge impact on how we function as some of our most rudimentary behaviours as humans. And I believe this is why so many of us are stressed and overwhelmed. Our technology is is being used in ways that is completely out of alignment with our neurobiology. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And we're going to talk about our nervous systems in a moment and how we can experiment with our nervous systems in a refreshing way away from the the ways that technology is um, perpetuating, not for our highest good. But I had a quick question about the three C's of connection, competency, control. Something landed in when you were speaking. I was like, oh, I'm trying to switch. Like what my poor brain, I'm switching between all three simultaneously when I'm online. Oh, I'm connecting with this person. I want to feel competence now. So I'm going to do this. And then, oh, did I control that? And then, oh, wait, is there connection? Is that, um, gosh, what is going on in the brain when we're switching in these ways with our needs and desires? What's going on within our nervous system and bodies when that's happening? So the reality is most of us are multitasking throughout the days. We're, you know, got 15 tabs open, we're doing our deep focused work, but our phone starts to vibrate and we we look down. And so we are we know that when we multitask or when we we, we call it task switching, or the, the another term is called continual partial attention. And so we're never really actually simultaneously performing two things. We're we're basically changing gears. And changing gears is cognitively taxing. So in our brain, when we are constantly oscillating, and and let's face it, that's how many of us spend our days today, the first thing that happens is our brain burns through glucose, which is the energy supply. So we start to feel really exhausted, really tired. This is why a day spent flitting between your tabs and your phone and all your digital devices is exhausting because we're burning through glucose. The next thing that happens is our brain releases cortisol. We are biologically designed, and I hate to say this, but men, you are right. Women, we're wrong. Multitasking is a myth. We are biologically designed to what I call monotask. We're designed to just do one thing. Mm. But we have stepped so far from that reality that we have almost normalized multitasking. Um, a Microsoft study oh, recently most definitely. found most yeah, the preponderance of people are spending their video meetings triaging their inboxes or replying to Teams or Slack chats. Like we have almost, we have adopted these completely incongruent um, digital habits that are but so far out of alignment with our neurobiology, our human operating system. So we we release cortisol, um, that stress hormone, but we also know when we're constantly multitasking is that instead of information being stored in our brain's hippocampus, which is a really important part of the brain for our um, memory retrieval, so it's I often say it's a bit like your brain's hard drive. It's where we store information. When we multitask, 
information bypasses the hippocampus and is stored in part of the brain called the striatum. The striatum will not help you to retain information. So we're multitasking. Again, we're working against our neurobiology. Mm -hmm. So we're more stressed, we're more exhausted, and we can't remember things. So many people say, you know, my memory-making capacity is shrinking. And there, I think, are a whole host of reasons. One of them is we're just being bombarded with so much more information these Mm -hmm. days. Um, adults now, the estimate is that we are processing around 70 gigabytes worth of data a day, 70 gigabytes. That's more than our ancestors consumed in a lifetime. So there's that that infobesity, but we're also not helping ourselves because we're spending our days switching between Instagram or TikTok or Zoom meetings or Teams chats or emails um, or WhatsApp messages or SMS or DMs. And that constant task switching is really detrimental and it's impacting our capacity to retain information because we're not putting it in our hippocampus. So That's a long-winded way to say. No, no, that's fantastic. Multitasking stresses us and it's not how we're designed to work as humans and I think we need to question that. Oh, most definitely. And I think just you speaking to this right now will have listeners questioning their own habits in the moment and it's interesting, like there's that saying around if you want to be an expert then you need to do, what is it, 10 years, however many thousands of hours. And I just wonder if we can be so passionate as humans about certain topics, but we're actually thwarting our efforts to really dig deep and be in our power and be in our expertise by diluting Mm. our attention and our focus and not retaining that beautiful, like when we read beautiful texts and books and wealth you know old school wealths of knowledge I'm just wondering if we're thwarting our efforts to really retain that information because we're um we're clocking in and out of like really rich sources of information and that's getting diluted by these quick dopamine hits Mm. of information so I just Nicholas Carr wrote a book a couple of years or several years ago called What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. Mm -hmm. And in this book, he used a brilliant analogy saying that we have become jet ski riders. So we skim the surface of information. We quickly read a blog post. We look for the headlines, the pullout quotes, the, the summary box. So we're skimming the surface. He said, gone are the days where we were deep sea divers, where we used to marinate in concepts and ruminate. And I think Again, technology is encouraging that because we're being digitally bombarded. You know, you think about your your day with alerts and notifications and we are designed as humans to go and forage, seek and hunt information. That's how our brains are designed. Biologically, Mm. we are designed to go and seek. But in today's digitally demanding world, information is constantly thrust at us. Alerts, notifications, reminders, pings and dings. Yeah they become the soundtrack of our day. And so our brain, again, perceives anything that comes to us as a potential threat. So we're certainly using devices in ways that are, I think, creating that shallow thinking. Yes. Um, the second thing that I think that is contributing to this, so the, the technology is fueling it, but I think our digital habits have displaced the time where we used to let our thoughts meander. Neuroscientists call it the default mode network. The fancy, well, that's the fancy word for daydreaming. We used to have unplugged, disconnected time where we'd go for a walk without headphones in, listening to yes. a podcast or an audio book at one and a half speed. We used to sit at the bus stop and literally stare at the sky or, yeah. or just let our thoughts meander. We used to get in the lift and we would just be idle with yeah. our thoughts. You used to wait at the coffee shop for your coffee and maybe have a conversation with someone or again meander. But today, Every bit of our white space is filled up with screens. Yeah. So we don't we don't have that time to get that deep thinking. And I don't know about you, Lauren, but I have never, ever in all of my existence had a great idea in an Excel spreadsheet or in yes. Where do your best ideas come from? No, never, never. It always comes. And I want to talk to you about boredom. So I've got goosebumps running down my legs and that's my big like sign. (laughs) It's like keep following this thread. Um, I wanted to talk to you about boredom. So I'm so glad you brought that up 
boredom. I'm so, so glad that I was a teenager in the 90s. I'm just going to put that out there. I am so grateful. I not am. just because your stupid shit wasn't archived yes. on social media. Oh my gosh, this <laughs> Just people's, you know, stories and hearsay. I was like, oh, that, that's just gossip. That, that didn't actually happen. There's no proof. Um, <laughs> but I am so grateful. I've been looking back on actual photos of where we had to go get the film developed <laughs> patiently. We had to wait so patiently for our film to be developed and we hand wrote letters and you're right we sat at the bus stop and we didn't have something to look at we would just we would just stare and we would just chat to our friends and I'm just immensely grateful so I'm grateful for boredom and that's where I get my ideas and that's where it's when I allow because I think that regains our sense of power when I allow myself to be bored, to meander, I love that word, great word. Um, That's where I get my ideas. I never get my ideas from just staring at um, blue light. It's not like, oh, this is a great idea. And any ideas I do get, they are the jet ski ideas. I'll be so honest. They're not the deep dive ones. They're the jet ski ideas. (laughs) They the surface. It's like, this would be great. (laughs) Because the internet creates staccato thinking, like we, we ping yes. pong, we go here, there and everywhere. Yes. Um, so I, I totally agree. Boredom is so critical for our well-being and for peak performance in the digital age. We have to digitally disconnect. Now, I'm not talking about doing a digital detox. No, no. I'm not saying go to a mountain retreat for two weeks <laughs> and, and literally have no Wi-Fi. They're completely yeah. unrealistic unachievable goals and the research actually tells us that detoxes don't work yeah they don't because they're not integrated into our real everyday lives we need sustainable over like all or nothing totally approaches yeah but we need pockets of time where we regularly disconnect and i think we need it daily weekly and, and and monthly um where we have you know pockets of time where we're just idle with our thoughts because it's so quick and easy this is why technology has become so voraciously adopted it's completely frictionless like you open your phone you now don't even have to enter a passcode it can just use your facial yeah. recognition and before you know it you've been lured into the digital vortex mm. um so I think we have to more than ever be really intentional about protecting and prioritizing boredom because yeah. if we don't, we will miss this. And I think it's so important, not just for creativity and ideation, that's certainly a part of it, but it's so fundamental to our well-being and our sense of identity. You know, how do I know what excites me, terrifies me, yes. me, turns me on? Yeah. I am just constantly consuming information, which is what so many of us are doing. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, that white, we need that. We need that white white space. space. Yeah, we need that white space. Oh, I love it. Okay, so for the entrepreneurs, leaders, female founders listening, what would you want, what do you want them to know about their nervous system, about their, about their own tech, 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 tech I'll add that one. <laughs> their own tech habits and taming them, what, and their personal power. If you had one woman in front of you and you could say something incredibly potent to her, what would you say? I think technology is making many of us feel stressed, overwhelmed, and exhausted in ways that we're completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's two things happening simultaneously. The first thing that I think is happening is that technology has introduced a range of micro stresses into our days. Now, these may seem really benign, they may seem really trivial, but I believe cumulatively they're having a significant impact on how stressed, exhausted and distracted many of us are. Alerts, notifications, multitasking, working for long stretches without regular breaks, Mm. um, video calls. We know all of these habits are far more stressful for our brain. Um, And this stress is accumulating. Now, as humans, we are designed to cope with stress. I don't want to give stress a bad rap because we do need stress for optimal performance. Um, I think we've all, I think there's a, a, a part of the vernacular is stress is bad and we demonize it. We do need stress and we are, as humans, designed for stress. 
we are designed not for prolonged periods of stress and not for never resolving our stress. We are designed, tiger chases us, I run into a cave, short stress, close the stress cycle. Today, we never feel like we can switch off. There's this always on culture. Um, And the data is corroborating this. Microsoft published a study last year that showed that we used to see two productivity humps in the day, one around 10 a.m. and one around just before the biscuit time of 3 p.m. We're now seeing a third productivity hump between a 10 and 11 p.m. at night. So people just can't switch off. So these are tiny little micro stresses because we're working against our neurobiology. So I think these stresses are accumulating. So that's the first thing. We've added a whole lot of little micro stresses um, that have crept into our life. The second thing that's happening at the same time is that our digital habits have completely annihilated some of the biological buffers that used to naturally be baked into our days that helped us to dis or so to, to decrease our stress. These biological buffers that helped us bring us back to a baseline. Physical movement, sleep, connection, like real connection with others, um, sunlight, even the way that we breathe research is telling us has been shaped by screens. So as humans, I'm sure you you know this, Lauren, but we engage in a physiological sigh. We mm-hmm. do it roughly every five minutes to regulate our oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. I'm not talking about the melodramatic, you know, I'm exasperated. <laughs> so some of us do that more than others. But generally speaking, males and females sigh usually roughly every five minutes to regulate those levels and bring us back down to a calm stress state. What happens, new research tells us that when we're looking at a screen, our sigh rate drops dramatically. What does that tell us? We're in an elevated stress state when we're on our devices. Um, Linda Stone did a, a study several years ago that found that we have a condition called email apnea. We literally hold our breaths, dump a whole lot of cortisol, our pupils dilate, our heart rate accelerates when we jump into our inboxes. Like It is having a physiological response where bodies are having a physiological response to how we're using technology. So I believe it's these two factors. We've introduced a whole lot of micro stresses and we've decreased some of the basic biological mechanisms that used to help us manage stress. You know, we're more sedentary than we've ever been. We're not sleeping. You know, our tech habits, our screen habits are really sabotaging our sleep. So all of these things combined, I think, is leaving us stressed overwhelmed and distracted. Yeah. And while you're on while you're mentioning stress overwhelmed distracted, what's one of the, what's one of the acronyms that you share? I can't remember what it is. So I've just come up I've, I've tweaked this acronym. I'm calling it ousted. So people yeah. are overwhelmed, overwhelmed, under the pump, mm-hmm. stressed, tie, uh, time poor, exhausted and distracted. Mm. And I believe our tech habits are fueling this. They're not the only reason why I think it would be ignorant to not even acknowledge, you know, the pressure of a pandemic that that has posed for many people. Um, At the time of recording this, there could be financial pressures with, you know, looming talk of recessions and um, inflation. And I think there's a whole lot of other extraneous variables, but I think we have completely, I don't know if I want to say the word ignored. I, I think we've been unaware of how we've given away a lot of our personal power by allowing these digital intruders to come in and take over our lives. Um, mm. I, I think we've, you know, there's a concept people are calling Facebook fatigue where people are finally just saying, oh, I'm, I'm done with the constant sharing of information and yeah. being digitally bombarded. So I think we're at a critical juncture where people are starting to evaluate um, yeah. their tech habits. And I've used the term digital burnout because I believe our tech habits um, again, if we don't resolve our stress, if we don't have stress in really short, protracted periods of time, then it will lead to burnout. And I think digital burnout is a huge risk for many entrepreneurs, leaders um, in general. Yes, yes, agreed. And there's something really delicious and there's an Oscar Wilde quote that's escaped me because he's one of my you know, literary like heroes, but there's, but he, and he's the, you know, the king of paradoxes, but he says something about the deliciousness of doing something mundane in it being completely private. And it's so, and it's mm-hmm. like, and he says something like, as soon as you share it with the world, it stops being 
something delicious. It's it's something along those lines. And he was he's saying this before we had any of the technology that we had today. But what I like about that quote is that when you stop sharing so much and start just being in your own life mm-hmm. and in being in the power of just enjoying the boredom and the mundane and just sitting with yourself and I feel like that is the most underrated power, source of power that we actually have. And that sharing, um, constantly partaking in conversations, constantly blah, 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 online, I feel like that's diluting that power source, um, that our magnetism, our, I feel like we've got the most power when we just know who we are and we don't have to justify it or explain it or engage in a million conversations online. So I love what you're saying about the white space and the privacy and the taking the power back through Mm. all the small moments in life. That's like, that is a life well lived in my opinion. That is success to me. Yeah, savoring simple abundance. You know, I think we've become so preoccupied with digitally archiving everything mm. that we miss the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we want to, you only need to go to a concert and see everybody standing oh. there or a fireworks display. <laughs> and, and there's actually been a study, I found this really fascinating. So a study wanted to look at what we actually retrieve when we record an event behind our camera, so literally on our smartphones. And what they found was that um, we will actually retain more visual memory. So our visual memory is stronger, we think, because, we, again, we've got a narrow gaze, so we're not looking yeah. at all the peripheral difference. We're actually looking at what comes into the lens of our camera. So we're honing in on the event. So our retention of visual information is stronger. But what this study clearly showed was that our auditory retention is far poorer. So we're not going to hear, you know, our child's, you know, if we record our child's first words or when they're first learning to walk, we might get the mental picture, but we miss all the beautiful language that went along with that or that the music at the, the, the concert that the we're music at the concert that you've been waiting 10 years for. I thought that you've was fascinating. So time and then you're missing it. Yeah. So I think again, and it's not saying we should never capture anything on our cameras. No, no. I think there's certainly a place, but I'm worried we're missing those little micro moments in life that really make up a rich tapestry of our life because we're so busy thinking, how can I archive this? Do I need to digitally document this? Um, with parents, like I use the term sharenting that we feel like we have to share our parenting, you know, milestones and muff-ups. I think people do the whole spectrum. Um, And again, that can be a conduit for us to connect. You know, Mm. I'm not saying that we only need to, you know, show selective parts on social media. I often say we need to show the shiny and we need to share the shabby. And I think it's that full (laughs) spectrum that makes us magnetic, but we don't need to share everything. As you Mm. said, I think there's something powerful about having a moment yeah, um, and knowing that that's been stored to your hard drive, not to your cameras. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. More of those moments, please. That's what gives us the feelings. I feel like that's what gives us the feelings that we're going online to try and find and source. Sometimes Mm. it's like there's this desire to feel this whole spectrum of feeling states and power and pleasure and and authority and all of the things that um you know where all where our work crosses over but it's like but the the twist is if you get offline sometimes yeah. you're actually going to feel the things that you want to feel in the real world and it might be, it might not be a quick hit like online but it's mm. going to be a long lasting deep dive one and that's what yeah i appreciate about being in both worlds um yeah. being present in both worlds yeah, and I think that's something we need to encourage people to do, like to take time to scrutinise what's driving our digital habits and behaviours. Yeah. You know, am I craving connection? Is that yeah. why I'm spending hours scrolling Instagram and TikTok and replying instantly to messages? You know, is it um, that that dopamine that I get? And we do know, mm. you know, we 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 hit a stuck point in a challenging document. We're doing some data analysis and we hit that mentally taxing, <laughs> challenging thing what do we do? We pick up our phones because we know that will give us a quick hit of dopamine. Um, There's a whole lot of other things happening as well. But again, we need to look at what's fueling our behaviours and see are there other ways that we can fulfil those needs. Yeah. Um, 
in ways that serve us rather than trapping yes. us. In this, yes. Um, so yeah. I work with a lot of everyone I work with is incredibly bright, smart, switched on, um, you know, bit of geek or is a nerd. Like <laughs> there's there's that going on. I feel like I'm, specifically for smart women, I feel like when we have grown up maybe in the the 90s or before as teenagers and adolescents and study was so important and um, your mark in year 12 was so important because then you got, we and remember we didn't have, our tech was nowhere near where it was at now. We were in silos and we were in our, in our groups and our sphere of influence. I guess what I'm wondering is, I mean, for a long time when I was doing sex therapy, a lot of it was around... Um, working with women who couldn't experience pleasure by day because it was always when I get this thing done, then I'll reward myself with something pleasurable and they just never got to the pleasure mm. part. So the way I'm trying to, and that that issue is still there even if I'm not talking to a woman about her libido or her interest mm-hmm. in what happens in the bedroom, it's still the same issue of when I do this, then I can relax, decompress, then I can unwind. When I do this, then I'll feel this feeling that I want to feel. So just to take it back to your example of, you know, you're doing data analysis, you're doing something that doesn't necessarily turn you on, but you know it's it's building to a crescendo to, you know, to for your life's work or for your mission or your vision. What would you say when we get that temptation to get a reward hit? Instead of looking at a phone, what would you say to women who are just really wanting to reward themselves, um, maybe on a smaller base, like on a smaller scale when they are doing something hard and arduous? I think the reason we often hit stuck points is not only is the work probably mentally challenging, I think we're not taking regular breaks. I think mm-hmm. we are pushing, again, we're working against our neurobiology we know scientifically that micro breaks, I call them piccolo breaks, short little breaks that pack a powerful impact. Like they have um, a huge impact and they're not complicated. They're not convoluted. Mm. You know, something as simple as closing your eyes. We know that closing your eyes gives the part of your brain, your occipital lobe that's processing what you see, gives it a break. It takes you out of your beta brain state and puts you into a focused, calm alpha state just by closing your eyes, you know, for 30 seconds. This is not hugely onerous. Yeah. This is not cumbersome or complex. Um, laying out in the sun. We know another study told us that 40 seconds in nature drops our cortisol levels. Can we go and stand out on the grass? If you don't have grass, can you find a sunny spot in your house and immerse yourself in in sunlight? Can you stand on the balcony? Um, we even know that just looking at nature, even on a screen, can have a restorative impact. So there are, I think, really pragmatic science-backed things that we can do that make us feel good. Mm-hmm. Um that we've often lost. I think technology's crowded out those things that we used to do. Now, not for a moment suggesting that we take up smoking but we need to bring back smoko do you know in news compi everybody was downstairs having a break there was no qualms there was no rolling eyes that you weren't putting in the hours yes we need to bring uh, someone the other day came up with the term i can't take credit for this they called it a wello break doesn't have the same language as a smoko i'm going to take a wello break kind of Kind of. We'll work on the term. We'll work on I that. Think but that's so. we'll just come a, up with that's something. Just the, the you know the beta. Yes, <laughs> but we'll work on that. We're just we're we're pushing through. We're not listening to our body's cues. Yes. Um, and this is why I think so many people. And I raise my hand here to say I have been guilty of pushing past, like being on that brink of burnout, because you're not listening to your body saying, "I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed." Um, yeah. Because we're I think we're numbing ourselves with busyness. And we're numbing ourselves with technology. So we've almost tuned out that voice that says, like, just go and rest, go and lay down. Yeah. Um, another really good, um, and again, these are all science-backed techniques, um, non-sleep deep rest. So you don't sleep, it's not a nap, but you rest for a 10-minute period. And there are a whole lot of scripts you can find on YouTube if you Google NSDR. Um, Professor Andrew Huberman is a very big advocate for these. But it's a 10-minute break where you basically do a body scan and put yourself into a deep, relaxed state. 
a whole lot of things happen to our brains when we do these really small things. Um, cold water immersion. Like oh, this really, my favourite. I love it. Obsessed. Love it. I spot saying I read the science and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can yeah. get norepinephrine and noradrenaline yeah. through getting in ice. So love that. But, again, I think if we come back to and we look at broader technology, so not just our laptops and our phones, but technology in general has made our lives so much more comfortable. You know, you're hungry, you order Uber Eats. Mm. You you want sex, you can look up porn. Yeah. Um, you are cold, you turn on the heater. Yeah. Um, you're hot, you turn on the air conditioner. Like we've lost that spectrum of feeling how we, you know, being uncomfortable. Yes. Um, so there are so many things that we can do to work with our neurobiology. And I think taking breaks and, and research overwhelmingly tells us that the best, most effective breaks that we can implement to beat burnout are those piccolo breaks, short, regular breaks, a faster period than one big chunky break. Not saying we don't need those chunky breaks. Yeah. We do. Yeah. But if we're looking for the biggest return on investment, those shorter oh, breaks. Like yeah, um, for sure. And and something happens where if you save it all up for that big <laughs> chunky break, you feel disappointed. It's like there was so much pressure on the yeah, big or, break being like the holiday, being the, and then you get there and you're still you or you're or still stressed. You crawl to the finish line and you are so exhausted that you get sick. I, yeah. I hear so oh, many yes, people say this, they one. get the, the migraine the first few days of the holidays yep. or they're sick for the first four days. Um, I'm not going to get the quote right. I'll share it with you afterwards. But Adam Grant shared something recently saying the idea of our breaks isn't that that's when we recharge. Like there are time for us to have fun and to rejuvenate mm. ourselves. It's not where we replug. And so I often use the analogy. I say we need to, I think, redefine rest as a responsibility, not as a reward. That it is if if we want to thrive, if we want to be in an optimal way and take back our our power, um, I think we need to start to see rest as a um, a critical component of our peak performance. That is it's personal responsibility. It's not something we do when we get our annual leave or on a Sunday afternoon when we've ticked off the to do list or when we get into bed at half past ten at night. Like yeah. it's just that's not sustainable. Not, not at all. Not at all. And on that note, you know a lot about something called chronotypes. And I'm wondering if you can share with our audience just what that is and how this all fits in so beautifully with knowing yourself and knowing your power. Mm. So I stumbled across this because for years I woke up, I've always naturally woken up really early. Um, my mum also was an early bird and my maternal grandparents were all early birds. So I'm talking here about naturally waking up between 4 or 4.30, a sleeping was sort of 5, 5.30. And I have always been that way. In my final years of school, I would wake up and I would study, but come the late afternoon or evening and I was a zombie. And so when I heard first about chronotypes, I started to do some more research in this space. And our chronotype is determined um, genetically by something called our PER3 gene. And it determines when we're naturally most focused and alert and when we naturally want to fall asleep. You cannot change your chronotype. It's baked into your biology. Oh, um, yes. It will shift throughout your lifespan. Yeah. So sometimes we know, particularly around puberty, a lot of kids shift towards being a night owl. So they tend, and I think their screen habits today are amplifying or exacerbating yeah. that. Yep. Far more kids think they're an owl than what they really are because their tech habits are delaying the onset of sleep. But the the trick, I think, and the really exciting opportunity, I think, for knowledge workers in particular, is that now we are, are redefining what new ways of working look like. The benefit is that we've ditched, hopefully for many of us, the traditional nine to five workday. The reality is that nine to five really only works for a, a, a minor, not a minority, for a, a proportion of our population. So when we can start to work with our chronotype, so I'm the early bird, I fire on all cylinders first thing early in the morning, that's when I have to build a fortress around my focus. That's the time of the day where I want to get my deep productive work done when I want to eliminate as many distractions as possible. And I will be far more effective because I'm doing my deep focused work in that time. 
Um, and equally, we've got people who are middle birds. So they fire on all cylinders, usually around 10 a.m. to roughly 2 or 3 p.m. So the traditional workday worked fairly well for them. And then we've got the night owls. So our night owls are the people who fire on all cylinders late in the afternoon and evening. So these are your colleagues sending you emails at 11 p.m. You know who they are. Friends that invite you over for a dinner party that starts at, at 9 p.m. <laughs> The, the poor early birds are thinking, my goodness, I'm usually asleep at night. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting. And I think this is where we now we're no longer constrained to having to work nine to five. Mm. If we can work with our neurobiology, so if we can map where possible, and I'm not su- suggesting that we need to have like a perfect structure, you know, it's not the opportunity to say to your boss, sorry, I'm a lark. Um, there's no way I can come to your 3 p.m. meeting today. <laughs> like we, there are obviously some realistic constraints, but where possible, when we can start to map our days to be in alignment with our chronotype, we're far more productive and we're working the way our brains and bodies are designed. Yeah, I love that. So you're a lark. I'm a lark. Like there are three, there are three types. Apparently, yep. there are three types. Yes, so, 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 Okay, you're a lark. Well, there are three, but a study came out probably two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, pray do tell. This is well, fresh. <laughs> this is fresh, um, and it's only one study. So I'm very careful to draw generalizations from one study, but it's suggesting there could be up to six chronotypes. So there's some mm. variations, but they're variations predominantly from those three. From those three, um, they're the core three. Yeah, and there's another. Th- um, uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, um, who is a sleep expert from America, suggests we've got four. So he uses um, he uses dolphins, bears, and he's got another one, um, another two, but they're basically owls, larks, and, and middle birds. Um, but he's also added a dolphin who are basically like insomniacs, people who live off very oh, little wow. sleep. Yeah. Um, but again, there's a very small proportion of the population who fit into that category. Many of us are trying to dupe ourselves into believing that we are dolphins and need very little sleep. Yeah. And again, this is why I think we're seeing rates of burnout. I believe this is why we've got a significant concern around mental health because a lot of people just aren't getting good quality and quantity of sleep. Yeah. Um, they're not moving as much. I think there's all these confounding variables that are adding, again, to, to our stress load. Yeah, and it creates this hangover effect. It's like mm. you you don't honour the rest periods, you don't sleep properly at night, hangover effect into the next day, trying to prop yourself up artificially, trying so to... So you have the caffeine. Yeah, caffeine, churn yep. through, wine yep. at night to unwind, yep. affect sleep, blah, blah, Like it just it creates this cyclical effect. So... What yeah. might be, what would you say is the first intervention in a cycle that's on the edge of burnout, that's playing out in that overextended, reactive kind of way? Mm. As someone who, and I'm happy to admit this, I've had burnout twice um, mm. by not heeding the advice that I give, by not following the protocols that I recommend. Mm-hmm. Um and I will say the one thing that has revolutionized my health and well-being and my productivity was nailing my sleep. I think it's one of the yes. most critical, it's the elixir of life. Like yeah. when you're not sleeping, your mental health's impacted, your yeah. physical health's impacted, your productivity and performance are impacted. But so many of us are walking around chronically tired. And I mentioned it before. I, Technology is not the only reason, but it's yep. certainly contributing to our poor sleep. Yeah, um, We know if we've been exposed to blue light in the 60 minutes before we fall asleep, it will not only delay the onset of sleep, but it will also shrink our deep and REM sleep stages. Oh, my goodness. It's when memory consolidation occurs, this is when we get that deep restorative sleep. This is why in the pandemic many people were saying, I'm still getting the same amount of sleep. Why am I so tired? And one of the reasons we think is because people were spending hours. Research said that most adults were spending an average of 13.28 hours a day on our screens during the pandemic. That's a huge increase in blue light. And at the yeah. same time, especially if we had very strict lockdowns and you were having very limited natural sunlight, yeah. um, I think the compounding effect of that meant that many people weren't getting that deep restorative yes. yeah. sleep. It is. It's the elixir of life. You. You look different when you've slept well. Oh, don't you? you? Yeah, just everything, like every single system and in your I've body, s- guts, I can say to people, skin, all of it will benefit. 
isn't it? It, it really, and it's, I mean, it sounds so simple. Like it really does. And as someone who's struggled with insomnia throughout my life as well, I know that getting this right is just so critical to every facet of your life. Yeah. I often say to people often though are unaware when you are really chronically sleep deprived, you are often in such a muddled brain state that you can't actually recognize that sleep is one of the root causes of yeah. all of the negative things. Yeah. So when you're tired, even making something as simple as a cup of coffee feels complicated, feels yeah. challenging because our prefrontal cortex isn't optimally working. So I think if I was to recommend one thing, it would be nailing your sleep and then Nailed looking the at what other levers you can pull mm-hmm. after that yes. um, that will have an impact on your productivity and well-being. Yes. I love that. I think that's incredibly powerful because we do overlook all the basics of breathing, movement, nutrition, sleep, <laughs> um, in-person connection, and we want to make it more complicated. It's like when I buy this book and do this protocol and when I do like, it's like, go to bed. <laughs> I so agree. And I think we're not complicated as humans. As someone who studies no, neuroscience, I hate to say it's not rocket science. Like it really isn't. We need to connect. We need to sleep. We need yeah. sunlight. We need to move. They're really rudimentary things yeah. that, again, I think technology is really shrunk or yeah. impacted. If we go back to our basic neurobiological biological needs, then we will thrive. Um, but I think we've forgotten that. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, Chrissy, I'm happy to say, I think today from our conversation that people will remember, we will remember this because this is innate. This is in our nature. This is ancient. And we are, we need to remember that our bodies and brains are old. They are old. (laughs) They might not have been here for that long, but by nature, they are old and wise and they know what they're doing. So totally. maybe we should stop meddling so much. <laughs> so true. I often say the basics work if you work the basics. Yeah. We've forgotten to do that. Like don't yeah. let your digital intruders, you know, shape those basic needs that we have. Yes. Yes. And we'll get the power back. Chrissy, mm. thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Can you share with listeners where we can find you and some of the resources that you have an abundance, by the way. I'm just going to preface this by saying there is an abundance. Mm-hmm. Dr. Chrissy is one of the most generous, abundant, from what I've seen, there is there is Thank something you. here for you. So can you share with listeners what is available for us to Thank delve you. deeper into your work? Yes, and the irony isn't lost on me that I'm encouraging people to tame their tech habits and saying <laughs> Come to my digital platforms, but I hopefully my my digital nudges spur you on and equip you with really practical, realistic things that you can do to develop healthier tech habits. So I'm mm-hmm. at um, com, and I'm also on um, predominantly on LinkedIn and on Instagram. So they're the platforms through which I try and disseminate realistic yeah. advice. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Lauren. I've enjoyed our chat. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay, it's time to get offline. <laughs> Just for a mini break. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pleasure. And um, I'm looking forward to our next talk. I'm sure that there's more. Thank you.